Well, welcome to Incarnation. My name is Liz Gray, and I am the rector here, and it's delightful to be with you on this glorious Sunday. I wonder if, um, if, you, so if you're at home, this is probably easier for you. If you could just grab a piece of paper and a pen, if you've got one with you, because you're going to need it a little bit later on. So now would be a good time to find one. So this season, we're talking about power. And this has been, we're in week four now, and we've been talking about all different aspects of power, the way that God created using his power, the way last week Amy talked about the way that God shows his love as a sign of his power. We also talked a couple of weeks ago about um, order and structure and the law and why God gave laws to his people. All glorious examples of power well used. And today we're going to talk about another aspect of power, and it's one which might not automatically strike you as being to do with power, but we're going to talk about rest. And I think that actually rest is one of the ways that most subtly we engage in a power struggle within ourselves. And so God, right from the very beginning, set up this model for us, which we read about in Genesis a few weeks ago, about work and rest, and there being some kind of rhythm in it. God worked really hard at creating for six days, and then on day seven, he rested. And the word that is used there is this word Shabbat, the word Shabbat or Shabbatim, um, meaning to rest, or another definition is to restrain an absence from work. Now, kids, if your parents tell you to go and rest, there might be some very definite kind of connotations of what that involves. It probably means, could you please go to your room and be absent from the rest of the household for the next 30 minutes and just go and do something quietly on your own? But there are different ways of thinking about rest. But over the next 15 minutes or so as I'm talking kids, I wonder if you would like to think, what is actually restful to you? What do you like to do that you think of as resting? And it's not just sleeping. Try to think a little bit more broadly than that. Maybe you'd like to draw a picture or write a poem about what it feels like to rest. And adults, could you think for a moment about all the kind of emotional and intellectual responses that you have when you begin to think, oh, we're going to talk about rest? Does that make you feel kind of irritated or demoralized? But kind of out of sorts? Oh, she's going to make me feel guilty. Um, all those thoughts which come rushing in, always are delightful. And some of that might depend on how rest was treated for you, or Sabbath rest was treated for you as you were growing up. Whether it was a day of delight in your family or a day of yet more rules, rules about things that you could or couldn't do. So I want you to address those feelings that you're feeling right now and just take a moment to breathe in and breathe out your beating heart. Maybe take a moment to look at some of the colors around you. And just rest your brain and your heart as we go into this conversation. Take a moment to think. When did you last rest? When did you last pause? When did you last give yourself some space to take a half a day or a whole day to just rest? Did you do it because you wanted to? or because you knew you ought to, or because you were simply very, very tired. Honestly, there are so many external and internal demands that are vying all the time for our attention. 
pressures from our workplaces, the kind of expectations that there are on work and rest, deadlines, colleagues, tasks that never end. And who holds the power to claim our time? And what are your inner voices telling you as you think about this topic of rest? As I was kind of researching this and thinking about it, I came across something which just delighted me so much. I don't know if any of you have ever traveled in Africa, but the Kiswahili word for um, a foreigner is mzungu. And I don't know if you know that the origin of the word mzungu means someone who is spinning around. Um, and uh, the, the word for dizziness is kizungu zungu. Apologies for my non-existent Kiswahili accent. But this idea that foreigners would come and they would just spin around. Many of us are pretty good, to be honest, at spinning. So if you have a piece of paper now, what I'd like you to do is just take a moment and maybe draw a list. And on the left-hand side, write all the reasons why you can't take time to rest right now. What are the th reasons, the things that are stopping you from resting? And on the other side, I want you to write all the coulds and shoulds, all the oughts, all the, all the things which you feel say to you that you ought to rest or you must rest. Have a little moment of thinking. Maybe if you haven't got time now, just write those headings and you can think about them later. There is something deeply appealing about the concept of Sabbath. It, we all want it. It's something which just sounds delightful. And yet, as a culture, we seem to flee from rest. We seem to flee from Sabbath stopping. The left-hand side seems so compelling in that in that list back there of all the reasons why you simply cannot do it. So let's take a moment and begin to think about those reasons for taking some rest. And remember that what we're talking about here is a power struggle. This is a power struggle. Who or what is being controlled by who or what? Where are the powers that we can being yielding to coming from? And how do we navigate that? My book of the week this week, I've decided to try to always have a book of the week, is um, something called the Rest, of, a book called The Rest of God by M Mark Buchanan. It's a lovely book. And he comes up with this phrase, which I'm going to refer to a, time of, a couple of times during this, a sort of definition of what Sabbath rest should look like. And he says, it is to cease from what is necessary and to embrace that which gives life. Cease from what is necessary Embrace that which gives life. To be honest, work is something which we are brought up to love and enjoy or hope for or expect to. We all have kind of vocational desires which think that we're going to land up in this job which is going to satisfy all our deepest places. And don't get me wrong, work is really good. I think God had a lovely time creating for those six days. And then he stopped creating on day seven. He actually ceased from creating. So I think it's a good thing to love your work. I love my job. But also to recognize that we live in a culture of excessively long hours. So what are the biblical reasons for rest? I'm going to bring up four biblical reasons for rest. Then I'm going to talk about four attributes of rest. And then finally, I'm going to just consider a few things that maybe we could muse on as we think about how we're going to adjust for rest moving forwards. So first of all, Four reasons, most of which we've already heard from Scripture this, during this service. 
The first one comes in Genesis chapter 1. This is God right at the very beginning. In verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work his, he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God works really, 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 really hard for six days, and then he stops. I actually was kind of quite tickled by this idea about him no longer creating. Maybe creation is something we very much associate with a day of rest. But for God, that was his work. And so he stopped doing that on his rest day. Then we heard, read from Deuteronomy a moment ago. God not only, first of all, demonstrates it. He says that he's going to work and then rest. There's this idea that it's in the part of the rhythms of the very world, the way creation is set up. Maybe then, because he recognizes that it's going to be a challenge for us, he adds it into the commandments and quite high up the list in the commandments. Listen again. Observe the, Sabbath, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Kind of something we give to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I love the fact that in this explanation of the law, the commandment for Sabbath, there's this immediate sense that the Sabbath is not just for you, but it's for your influence in your culture and society. It's something which is going to spread beyond you. You're going to make sure that the people, your colleagues, the people who work for you, the people who are accountable to you, that they also are resting. Even your oxen. So if you've got any oxen, make sure your oxen get a day off. It's important. So rest is not simply something for me and me alone. It's something which is to do with society. Another thing that I find intriguing about this commandment is that many of the commandments are don't murder, don't covet, don't lust. We all kind of recognize that murdering, coveting, and lust are things that are bad. And God's telling us, don't do this bad thing. But there are many, many ways that we see in, in Scripture that work is good. We're encouraged to work. We're told to work. We're told that we should try and get a job, that we should try and make sure that we are productive and useful and part of society's ongoing. But here we're being told to cease from something which is actually good. So there's something even more to it than simply not doing something which is bad. The other phrase in here which is intriguing is that it's holy. This is something which is to do with God. It's not, again, about me. And we need to treat it a bit like we treat the Eucharist, a place and time for remembering. Sabbath should become a place of worship, a place where we can come and recognize that this is a good thing that God has given us. I do appreciate, though, that God recognizes that it's hard. And so then Psalm 23, when we read it a minute ago, we read it from the ESV because I particularly appreciate the translation there in verse 2. 
Now, Psalm 23, if you are at all familiar with Scripture, this might be, even if you don't know any other verses from the Bible, you possibly know Psalm 23 from having heard it at weddings and funerals and all sorts of times through your life. But verse 2 is interesting. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I hadn't really thought about that until I was preparing for the sermon. The fact that there, again, feels like a little bit of enforcement. God's saying, I'm going to, you sheep, you're going to lie down in those green pastures. It's going to be good for you, and I'm going to make you do it. Fascinating. And then the fourth injunction from Scripture that we have heard today is read from Hebrews. Now, that passage from Hebrews is a little bit confusing, and it's in a context of also talking about circumcision and all sorts of other things. But the way it's describing it is it's saying that rest is a foretelling. It's something which we come into in expectation of eternal rest. It's almost something that we practice now in order to be able to use it as a skill when we get to heaven. We're going to learn how to rest now and learn how to rest well because there's going to be an opportunity for extended Shabbat, extended uh, Sabbath rest when we get to heaven. I also have a suspicion we're going to work when we're in heaven. So, but more of that another day. I love the idea that we also get a foretaste of the kind of rest that we will experience one day. So it's good behavior, but it's an invitation. It's a gift. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That feels like much more invitational than it invitational, then I will make you lie down in green pastures. Jesus does that. He invites us to come with him into rest. And it's quite a fun exercise to do, and I've mentioned this before, that it's go through the gospel sometime and look, see how many references you can find to Jesus resting. Moments when he goes and sits by the lake, or he goes up the mountain, or he falls asleep in the boat, or he's found sitting by a tree by somebody. I think Jesus was an unanxious presence, and I think some of that calm just came from the fact that he managed his, his rest and his work balance, obviously, very, very well. So God models it, he commands it, he enforces it, and he offers it as a gift. So what are some attributes of rest? Is it simply sitting still? Well, I would argue no. I think there are four different ways that we can rest. And the first one, the ceasing, is kind of what I'm going to call, first of all, quiet rest. There is good to just be quietly restful. When I realized I was going to be preaching on this a couple of weeks ago, I started to read um, things, articles on the internet. And I read so many articles about mental health. And I am aware that during this pandemic, as all of us have had to relearn our ways of working, as all of us have had to adjust to new patterns, I think we're all doing working at least 50% longer hours than we used to work. It's more stressful because we've had to learn new skills. We're applying ourselves hard to our work, trying to do it well with a whole new set of parameters. It's been really, really hard. And as I meet with you week by week, members of the congregation, I hear stories of how tired you are and of how you're struggling with that balance of work and rest, and how for many of us we find ourselves increasingly fragile in our mental health. 
Take note about what your body is saying to you about rest as well. Take note. Yesterday was um, Global Mental Health Day. Another reminder that this is important. So God mandates rest, and I think he does so for good reasons. And one of them is because our bodies, minds, and spirits need to rest. They do need to stop. We do physiologically have to switch off from time to time. And it gives an opportunity for our minds and brains to come in back into line. It gives us an opportunity to reflect, to appreciate beauty, to be present to other people, to listen, to stop creating, and for our bodies, minds, and souls to heal. So quiet rest is really important. So if you, kids, if you're sent to your room to rest for 30 minutes some days, it's really a good thing to do. You should tell, encourage your parents to do it as well. But this whole idea about embracing what gives us life, I think you can do passive, quiet rest, but you can also do active rest, doing things which are delightful and which make you laugh and enjoy things. We went camping this weekend. It was delightful. It was very, very active rest. I can't say that my body felt rested at the end of it, but my soul felt rested at the end of it. And so this is where my suggestion to you is that you only mow the lawn on your Sabbath if you're going to find that that's a joyful experience. If it's a chore, try and put it off to a chore space, a chore chunk of time somewhere else in your week. If cooking is something which is a chore, try and find a way to prepare in advance so that you don't have to cook on your Sabbath. Jewish housewives have been doing that for millennia. Um, you know, take note. But if you want to cook up a feast for your family on that day and that's a delightful thing to do, then I think that is Sabbath. Doing things which give life. Play is so important, and we need to make sure that as we Sabbath, we also play. I don't know, if you watch any documentary on um, wildlife, they'll nearly always have a section at some point where whatever they're studying plays. And I watched recently um, such a fun documentary called um, My Octopus Teacher. It's on Netflix, I think. And it's about this little octopus and this guy who kind of becomes friends with it bizarrely as he's studying it. And there's this Sweet, sweet scene when the octopus plays with a shoal of fish. It's hilarious, and it's really rather delightful. Creatures play, and it's good for us to play. So I encourage you to include times of laughter and joy in your concept of what Sabbath is. And both fasting and feasting can be part of a habit of Sabbath. Sometimes it's good for us to stop on a Sabbath, to stop eating, to stop drinking, to stop doing those things, and to to make sure that we then are hungry when we move forward. So fasting can be a Sabbath activity, but feasting can also be a Sabbath activity, embracing that which brings joy. And then thirdly, that reminder that Sabbath is good for society. There are a number of injunctions in Scripture to farmers to leave margins in their fields for gleaners. This idea that if we can live with margins in our life, there is space for others who might need it. And in that culture and time, it was appropriate for them to leave food around the edges so that people could come who had no money, could come and glean and get from the excess. There's a book in the Bible about a woman called Ruth, and it talks about the way that she went and gleaned when she was hungry and her family was hungry. And if you can leave margins in your life, margins of time and space, it will be good for you but it's also good for others. There's an opportunity for other people to step into that space. 
So perhaps at work, if you can leave a project for somebody else to do, it might give an opportunity for someone to step up into something which they haven't had the opportunity to do before. It might leave space for others to flourish. I'm doing a class at the moment called a race literacy class with um, little lights downtown. And every week we hear them say, make space for voices that are not normally heard. And that's a kind of um, phrase which has become deeply embedded in my soul. Where can I stop talking, stop being, stop acting, in order to give space to a voice which is not normally heard? Is there someone that you could be mentoring at work who could step up into an opportunity which you could give them? And can you think about that as a form of Sabbath, of you resting from some work? It's an opportunity for generosity a time when we generously give some of the space which we fill our platform to someone else. And then just to touch back at that passage from Hebrews, a fourth really good reminder about Sabbath is this one about it being good for eternity. Prepare your soul for eternity. It's an opportunity to get good at laughing and playing and waiting with expectant hope. That is a fun prospect. So briefly, with all this goodness, I mean, all of that is compelling, the biblical injunctions, the good reasons for doing it. So why on earth do we resist it? I'm not very good at, at rest. And so I actually phoned my daughter, who's a therapist. And I said to her, Fiona, um, you're wise. You know about people. Why, why is it really hard to rest? And she laughed, and she laughed. And she said, Mom, is it people, or is it just you? <laughs> And I said, okay, well, I'll start with me then. It's, it, and she then asked me my Enneagram number, which always befuddles me. I'm not really good at the Enneagram. And I said, I don't really know, but I'm whichever one it is that isn't really good at resting. <laughs> so I accept. Some people might take to this more naturally than others. I have found it always to be something which has pushed, I've been, had to push on throughout my life. And so I thought of some of the reasons I don't like to rest. Maybe some of these will echo with you. I don't like to leave unfinished tasks. I like to finish everything before I stop. I don't like to say no to good things. So sometimes that invitation to a meeting or an opportunity, I might want to do it. And then I kind of go, well, actually, is, it, is that Sabbathy or not? I'm also kind of scared of looking lazy or idle. I'm scared of the opinions of others. I'm scared of saying no and people going, well, what else are you going to be doing that's better than meeting with me? I'm scared of me thinking that I'm the only solution. My own personal importance being challenged by rest. I'm scared of people. I'm also kind of arrogant. I think I do things well, and I want to keep doing them well. And I don't want anyone else to mess them up. That doesn't apply to any of my team, by the way. Just saying that quickly here. Am I sure that God loves me enough? Or is there some bit of me which fights back and says, if I can just work a little harder, he'll love me a little bit more. I think that's, that's an old echo in my brain. And honestly, perhaps I'm a little bit addicted, as I am sometimes to my technology. So take note, what are the reasons why you push back? Try and push yourself a little bit deeper this week to think what are the things that alarm you or frighten you or, or the voices that you're listening to and analyze them. Maybe they're good voices, but maybe they're not good voices. 
And I want to encourage you to take this seriously. And remember that it's a power struggle. And I want you to be kind to yourself and not leap into legalism. And perhaps the constraints of your life as it is right now just mean that taking a whole day of Sabbath is just out of the question. Well, could you be a bit flexible about that? Could you take two half days? Could you at least carve out some time and write it down and put it on your calendar and say, this is what I'm going to do? So at the end of this week, whenever your week begins and ends, can I encourage you to look back and say, did I Sabbath rest this week? Did I stop? Did I play? Did I laugh? Did I look for eternity? Did I obey this injunction to rest? Did I give opportunity to others? Just take a moment. Don't beat yourself up. Just think about it. And then decide whether you want to work harder on it. Work harder on it. Work harder on resting. Do you want to work hard? Do you want to make progress in this? Do you want to expand your capacity for Sabbath resting? Do you want to expand your capacity to cease from what is necessary and to embrace that which gives life? Maybe take out that bit of paper and look at those two sides again later in the week. Take stock. Again, to summarize, be creative. Don't be legalistic. Be brave. Give up on some things. Be honest. Tell someone else. I'm now going to make a confession publicly on tape that I have Fridays as my Sabbath. And if I refuse a meeting with you on a Friday, that's why. I'm trying really hard to keep Fridays as a Sabbath. Be, be clear. It's okay to say to someone, no, I can't do that then because I'm really trying to do Sabbath on that day. Be kind, though, to yourself and to your family and to others because this is a gift. It's not, it's, I don't want you to beat yourselves up with it. And so finally, because I know you like a little story, I'm just going to finish with a very brief passage from The Lord of the Rings. If you're familiar with the story of The Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are going on a long journey and they land up in Rivendell, and that's the place where the elves live. And Rivendell is a glorious place, which actually in many ways represents Sabbath rest. So this is a very short paragraph, but listen for this, the echoes of Sabbath in it. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of all the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. Sounds glorious. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of rest. Thank you that you have done so many things to encourage, goad perhaps gently, chide, instruct, help us to take rest. Thank you that you give us permission to rest and then instruct us. Thank you for all the ways that you've offered every possible way to encourage us to rest. Can you help us all? Help me, help my friends. Help our communities to know what it is to step into the joy and delight of living life fully 
and enjoying the fullness that Sabbath rest can bring us. Amen. I'm going to take a moment now to be quiet. <laughs>